Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Smooth Soul Monday edition of Ball Don't Lie. My man uh, Patrick playing uh, some smooth soul jams designed to uh, soothe the tortured soul of sports fans whose uh, teams may be dealing with an L over the weekend. <clears throat> that would be them Dallas Cowboys. So uh, you can take a little, you can you can enjoy a smooth soul Monday. Um, and my man Patrick will try to ease your anxiety. Uh, and all your stress about your team going to the postseason, um, looking uh, like straight up <clears throat> mm, fugly, I should say. Man, just keep fugly. playing. Uh, keep playing Luther fugly. for me, dog. Looking, keep playing Luther yeah. for me. Looking straight up <laughs> fugly. That's how the Cowboys looked on uh, this past weekend when they faced the Commanders, lost twenty six to six. So Ugh. we'll talk about that. Even Dak Prescott, when asked about his performance. Described his own performance as uh, ishti. I don't know. I can't. You know, I can't say that word, but <laughs> you get it, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the Cowboys uh, going into the playoffs will have to play, go on the road and play the Bucks. Who, by the way, is quarterback by Tom Brady, who has his first losing season since he became a starter in high school. Yeah, first losing season since you got to go back to him being a starter in middle school or on the freshman team. Um, before uh, you can find another losing season from Tom Brady. How about that? He has, mm. uh, he has had a winning season all throughout his high school starting career as a quarterback. Michigan with the Patriots, never had a losing season there, and had his first losing season of his career. Uh, this past season, he is 8-9. and nine. So mm. you got you got an aggravated Tom Brady. He's going to okay. be upset. Yeah, he's going to be a little upset. He's going to be a little upset. But he is 7-0 versus your Dallas Cowboys, Harge. Uh, let's get to the game, just to break the game down just a little bit. And of course, we'll be breaking down the matchup all week long. But it was arguably Dak Prescott's worst game yeah. of the season. Uh, it was a terrible game by Dak Prescott. A no good, very bad, horrible day. Uh, 37.8% completion percentage. That's the worst of his career. Um, he was uh, also 14-37. 728 passing yards, 45.8 passer rating. That was the third worst of his career. Um, and uh, more importantly, uh, he did turn the ball over. He did have that pick six, that crucial pick six. And now 15 interceptions uh, leads the NFL. And you know, it's the end of the season, in the regular season. But he leads the NFL at the end of the regular season, tied with Davis Mills. And the most interceptions, uh, or I should say the most games missed by a player to lead the league in interceptions. Yeah, it was, uh, like you said, probably one of the worst performances we have seen from Dak in quite some time, if not ever. Um, it was, It was. we talked about this in the first hour, you threw an out, and the dude dropped it. And you throw the out again, but you made the throw even better for him to pick off to take it to for a pick six. And then I went back and I watched that's a little true. bit, too, about Noah Brown. There's just something that's not sitting right with me 
here lately. I went and watched that route, the out route. He was he was dictating or televising what he was going to do the entire time. I saw it. I was like, there's no way you could do you would look for anything else but a, but an out route. Mm. Because of the way he he ran the route. He ran that route for an out. And I'm like, you're not even trying to trick anybody. You're not trying to make them think you're going to go try to go deep. Then Dak threw a deep pass down the sideline, and again, the ball went through Noah Brown's hands. And everybody's yelling where I was at. They were like, he threw it in a double coverage, and then they showed the replay. I'm like, the dude beat him, and the ball went straight through his hands. So is Dak, my biggest question for Dak is, why is Noah Brown becoming that wide receiver that you feel so comfortable throwing when he's failed you all year? There's been some successful times like Minnesota where he caught a couple of touchdowns. But other than that, the interceptions, tip passes, most of them were to Noah. Yeah, but, I mean, what choice does he have? I mean, there's— Go back there's, to the tight ends and just dink and dunk I, down, the, down the field. He, he tried that late in the game. He tried to go. There's a lot of targets, like <laughs> consecutive targets toward Dalton Schultz late in the game. Yeah. Um, CeeDee Lamb's getting a lot of attention. He still ended up, you know, with over 100 receptions on the, on the year. Yeah. But he's getting a lot of attention, which he should. That's what wide receiver ones are supposed to do. They, they're supposed to have gravity, right? Yep, they're supposed yep. to attract different defenders. But they're supposed to leave things open uh, on, on other, at least other vulnerabilities within the frame work of the opposing defense and we're not really seeing that and I'll get on killing more here too strategically uh, and schematically I just don't like what they're doing on first down I'll just say it I, I think the first down calls have been bad Right. Period. They just have been they're, – they lack innovation. They lack creativity. I don't know what's going on with the Cowboys on first down. And the numbers back me up. Last two games for the Cowboys, they're the worst team, worst team in the NFL on first down. Last two games, they're averaging 2.5 yards per play on first down, 1.7 yards per carry, 3.2 yards per drop back. Um, in that game against the Commanders, they had 10 yards on seven first down rushes. That's it. yards per carry on first down versus Washington. Washington's D-line is pretty legit. I like it. I love it, actually. It's one of the better D-lines in the league, but still, that is something the Cowboys need to address. Uh, I mean, that is ineptitude at a whole nother level. Um, And I think a lot of it is play-calling malpractice. Passing on first down, 6 of 14 for 40 yards, 2.9 yards per attempt. they got to figure out a way to be more productive, more effective on first down. They're putting themselves way behind the chains on second and third down, which makes them – very lopsided and very predictable because mm-hmm. they're one-dimensional. And we know the last four weeks, the running game has been MIA. I yes. don't know why, but it's been MIA. Tony Pollard and Zeke combined for 94 rushes in the last four weeks for 2.9 yards per carry. Those two things, it, it, along with Dak's decision-making, it's just he just got bad luck with interceptions, too. It ain't all his decision-making. No. Some of it is just it, it, hitting receivers with bad timing, receivers not catching it, bouncing off their hands. It's been a lot of—it's been bad luck, but it's also been bad decision-making by Dak. Either, both of those things still, yep. they got to figure out a way to rectify it. But to me, the two biggest issues— that I would like to see the Cowboys address, and I think that's something they can correct in a week going into the playoffs. Their first down offense, which has been the worst in the mm-hmm. NFL, and arguably their running game the last four weeks, which has been one of the worst in the NFL. Dax picks, 
And we've been talking about it since he returned. We really can't figure it out. This is the first year we've dealt with Dak and his interception. Dak has not been the type of quarterback that throws the football away. I mean, right. in his career, he has been a low-risk, high-reward quarterback. But for some reason, this season, he is a high-risk, high-reward quarterback. And uh, it's coming back to hunt, hunt the Cowboys, obviously, in some of these clutch situations. Yeah, and that's the frustrating part for for me as a Cowboy fan, is somebody that has been a Dak apologist for quite some time. Damn. I can't tell you how many times I get into arguments mm-hmm. with my boys about Dak Prescott. <clears throat> but the main thing for me, and this goes back to what you said about Kellen Moore, where are the play-action passes? You quit making him drop back with no thoughts of a running game. Granted, the running game has been MIA, but at least give him the look that you might hand the ball off. Because that's something, too, when he's been he's been better in the pocket when he does have play action with yep, it. It creates more space and different opportunities for him. Agreed. But it's so frustrating when you look at, overall, the downfall. And even the defense. The, you, you, know, you said this earlier, Ra. All levels of the game yesterday was a failure. Offense, defense, special teams. They were terrible. All the way around. It was like they didn't have a game plan. They didn't know what was going to happen, and they were just like, you know what, we're just out here. But the fact still remains is you can't play complementary football if all of those phases are bad. The entire thing. And we definitely need to figure out what's going on with this run game. I just really need to understand it because the complementary football is the run game keeps the defense fresh, Mm -hmm. gets them some time on the sideline so they can come back and be geared up to go out there and play defense. But if they're on time of possession, if they're on the field the entire time, it's not a good look, man. It's not a good look at all. And I think this is where we see this coaching staff lose their own focus is early in the season – they had the injury to deck, and so they had to simplify everything and make things that worked. And they were doing really well with that. And then they had that Colts game, and yep. they blew them out. And you, it was this false, false hope for the Cowboys that they could do that to everybody. Yep. And Kellen Moore went, throw away that boring playbook. Let's go to the fun playbook. And then for the next few yep. weeks, they've been playing terrible football because they went away from, hey, man, we're not. We don't have the talent to go out there and run it down everybody's throat. We don't have the talent to get our third wide receiver open all the time, our second wide receiver. Noah Brown's not going to be the guy that we had when we had Michael Gallup in our three slot three years ago when he was healthy. We don't have those type of things anymore, so we need to play a little bit smarter types. And we know who Dak Prescott is. The reason Dak Prescott's numbers were usually better was because they didn't put him in situations where he had to throw the ball 50 times a game Mm. to win games because they weren't running the ball. And once you do that to him and you go, hey, man, we're going to make you run a lot of these outs with a a receiver who's you're going to telegraph it, he's going to telegraph it, so everyone in the building knows what's happening. You can't win like that. And so you have to, as a coaching staff, which has to start with Mike McCarthy, go into Kellen Moore's office and go, hey, man, why did our game plan change after the Colts game? Right. Why why did we have one good game against a terrible team that couldn't beat the Texans this season. <laughs> What'd you say, Rob? We'll get to mm, the Texans. Mm, mm, no, we'll but they, they didn't beat them. They tied them and they lost to them. Yeah. And we beat them really bad. And you think all of a sudden we're winning the Super Bowl with it. Like, you have to go back to what you did that worked. You got to get Tony Pollard in space and that open up that side of the running game. And then you can put Zeke in, in plays where it's play action and they don't know. And he's a great pass blocker, but he may also take it up the middle and it opens things up a little bit more. You have all these options and you don't seem to want to do any of those things. Because all you want to do is open it up, 
but they can double cover CeeDee Lamb now. Yeah. And yep. when yep. that's gone, Dak's not good. Yeah. yeah. They got to figure out uh, as they got to figure out how to bring some juice to the running game. And, you know, I, I'm sure they can do it schematically and creatively uh, in a lot of ways, too. But Tony Pollard is the explosivity in the running game. Um, and they got to, I think, adding Dak to the running game a little bit would help, too. And getting Dak on the move um, and adding the kind of design runs for him might add a little bit to the running game. I'm a little concerned because I saw this and I, I really I had to do a double take. You know, Dak's other really bad game this year, besides his Washington game, it was a Tampa Bay game. Yeah. Well, remember, he got hurt, though. That's when he got hurt. I know. At the very beginning. I know, but it was still, I'm just going back to psychologically, you got a guy that is struggling playing, you know, (laughs) mediocre to average football, all right? Um, But he's now going psychologically into a game where, yeah, the last time he played this team... He had his other worst game of the season. <laughs> yeah. he was four, it was almost identical. He was 14-29 versus uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah, what was he was 14-37 14 14 yeah. versus Washington. 134 yeah. yards versus Tampa Bay. 128 yards versus yeah. um, the Washington uh, Commanders. Which, again, goes back to the point of why are we throwing the football so much? Well, that's, that's it. Yeah, because early in the season, yes. that's exactly what you did. You threw the football, which I didn't disagree with that game plan. I didn't think, I didn't know Dak was going to be hurt either. Right. We thought Dak was healthy. Dak was indeed not healthy at the time. Um, so, either way, my point is, psychologically, I wonder where Dak is mentally. Well, That's what I'm worried about with Dak at this point. Well, they, they need to sit, spend some time and really dissect this film going into this week because this is this is a big game for so many people that are involved with this Dallas Cowboys. This is uh, Mike McCarthy, the leadership. Even though we talked about it, they won twelve games back to back years for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. So kudos to that. But again, you have to look at. <clears throat> excuse me. You have to look at what is the expectation coming into the year. We believe in our guys. You let a wide receiver walk. That was a better wide receiver than your number one. C.D. Lamb has played up, but you didn't get the, the 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 supplemental help that you were expecting from your guys. You had opportunity to go make some plays. Even yesterday, even yesterday, T.Y. was dropping passes. He did. T.Y. I think dropped three passes that hit him crucial. in the hands. Crucial. Yeah. Yeah. After last week where he had the big number, Agreed. where he had that big catch. So you sit there and you look at that. Then you also start to look at, how are you going to make the adjustments from game to game and the in-game adjustments that we've been talking about before when we would say something about Sark? We're saying the same thing now. Where are the in-game adjustments? If this isn't working, what are you doing with that? There's so many different things that have, have flipped the script to where I'm now looking at this Dallas Cowboy game where at first I thought, okay, we, we, they're going to go into the week. They're going to play well. They're going to look sharp. Your your special teams killed you yesterday, and then that trumped everything else that happened. So you were in a bad spot from the very beginning, and then your quarterback, who's your leader, did not play well and didn't get you out of that situation. So that was the thing that I'm – what do you always say? Coaches are supposed to be problem solvers. That is what their job is. Solve the problem. 
Yeah, uh, the Cowboys special teams was that that was surprising. Probably the most surprising part of that game. And I know they failed in all phases, but there that was the worst game of the season for their special teams. Started out with the hold on the first initial kickoff return. Uh, then Brian Anger had the bobbled punt that gave Washington short field, led to seven easy points. Kevontae Turpin muffed a fair catch, um, which ended up being recovered by Washington. Uh, and Brett Maher ended up missing the extra point. They had a all systems failure on special teams and that really put them at a huge hole a deficit to start out the game and then never able to get out of that quicksand the more they battled the more they sank deeper and they just didn't come to play um so i i think it would have now is in retrospect worth asking the question should they have just sat all the guys because obviously mentally the cowboys were checked out already and they weren't ready to play in that game they didn't want to play in that game not at the all. Players didn't want to play, and they weren't. They but were that's not invested. The problem is, should they have said no? They should have gotten them up and wanted to play. Like if you can't get your players up, that's a failure in coaching. It's a failure in leadership yep. too. On yep. the, yes, so, which is why this means so much this yeah. week. The leaders on the team. That's a failure by all of them. It's like you can't get the guys ready to play. Yeah, the playoffs like, are in two weeks. This is <laughs> so. <laughs> it's a crazy part. We had this discussion at the, the end of last year, the beginning of this year, about Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore, and you go this season and they. They completely redeemed themselves, and you say, all Somewhat. right, hey, man, you know what? You guys seem like you were on the right page. You seem like you figured it out. You fixed a lot of the problems we thought you had, and then they just go, cool, we fixed it, and walk away. Like, yep. hard you said it. It's Coaches are supposed to be problem solvers. They're acting like there isn't a problem. And that is and the bigger a, problem. You, you had <laughs> four weeks. This is four or five weeks of subpar football from the Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, other than that Eagles game, they played decent in that game. But outside of that, you know, it's really bad football. And if you say that you haven't realized you need to fix something before the playoffs yeah. in that amount of time, it's not that you're not a problem solver. It's that you're denying there's a problem. Yeah. Uh, the Cowboys' defense actually, I think, has they've they've tried to fix some of the issues. They really have. Dan Quinn has I tried. I trust Dan Quinn a lot more. It just hasn't really worked out. The corner opposite Trevon Diggs. Um, hasn't I mean they just they've tried different options. Nation Wright, they tried Kelvin Joseph, tried Trayvon Mullen in that last game versus Washington, and he was just torched by that wide receiving core from Washington, which is a really good one by the way. But you got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin coming up, and Tom Brady, the goat. They're going after that cornerback spot opposite of Trevon Diggs. I've been talking about it for months now, and I'm telling you, it's it's getting ugly. It's going to get uglier too, yeah, because that's an easy easy place to exploit the Cowboys defense and you can almost force them to overcorrect with that spot and then leave themselves vulnerable elsewhere. Yep. Um, so going to the game, that's probably my biggest concern. I think the rush defense will improve when Jonathan Hankins and uh, Leighton Vander Esch are added to the when both of those guys are added to the equation in the middle of the defense. Those were two of your best run defenders. You've been playing without both of those guys for the last few weeks. I think that'll help the rush defense. Now the pass defense. I don't know what helps. Deron Bland left. Remember with a chest yeah, injury, yeah. Um, he's been one of your bright spots in the secondary. So now you're down or out. Three of your top four cover guys, your cornerbacks, with Jordan Lewis being out, Anthony Brown not being out, and Deron Bland dealing with an injury of some sort. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big question that's mark, big especially one. when you got to look at the slot receiver and what you're going to be able to take away. We talked about Chris Godwin. We talked about Mike Epps. I mean, Mike Epps. <laughs> hey, we said Mike hey, Epps. We said Mike Epps. Well, the way they've been playing, they've been telling a lot of jokes. I was about to say, you need to laugh at something, man. Yeah, that, exactly. That's something funny. I, it ain't funny. I, I will tell you what will help this defense a lot. 
uh, not three and outs. Oh, for the sure. opposite of three and outs. Yeah. yeah. If you can get drives, that'll help this defense a ton. Yep. But if you're got, if you're gonna have what ten three and outs in a game, defense probably gonna give up some points. Yeah. This is, I don't care. This is I don't big. care if you're playing the Pro Bowl team. You're probably giving up some points. What's well, yeah. the running game though? It goes back to running game. Yeah. yeah. One dimensional. So that's why 100%. they have so many three and outs because their first down offense is really bad. Worst in the NFL the last two weeks. Like I said, so they're behind the chains. When you're behind the chains, second and long, you're probably gonna throw. Third yep. and long, you're definitely going to throw. You're predictable. That's why you're yep. down your three and outs. Yep. In a nutshell, so it's a reverber. It's a domino effect thing. They got to fix first down. You got to fix the running game. You don't fix first down. You don't fix the running game. You're dead yeah. in the water. You're going to lose that game to the Bucks. No love at all. You're going to lose that game to the Bucks. I'm telling you, if you don't fix first down. You don't fix running game. You will lose that game to the Bucks. And the Bucks are a bad football team. Man, thanks. I mean, I thought or eight my, nine. I, I still got a week of this, by the way. Till we get to this a yeah. week from today, I'm gonna be thinking yeah. over here about uh, Tom Brady and what he's looking at and his opportunity to go. He struggled all year. You don't think that he knows that this is a clean slate now? Don't matter what happened the rest of the season. We're into the dance now's my opportunity because I'm not going out like no sucker. Especially because I beat the Cowboys seven straight times. Also a clean slate for the Cowboys though. Mm-hmm. The Cowboys can start this thing anew as well. But we Cowboys- don't have the goat. And the Cowboys, they do not it have is, to go. It, it is a clean slate for the Cowboys. You didn't want a clean slate. No. You no. want a slate with some wins on it, exactly. and you don't have that. Well, exactly. you got 12 wins. And no, no, I know. Man, this. Point, you've seen the ceiling of the Cowboys. You've seen them blow yeah. out a team like yes. the Vikings. We've seen this, the Cowboys play with a team like the Eagles. The problem with the Cowboys is they don't have a sufficient baseline. They're all over the damn place. Yep. Right? They're getting double-digit leads and losing double-digit leads to teams that didn't even make the playoffs. They are getting whipped by commanders with all of their starters out there, a team that didn't make the playoffs with Sam Howell as their starting quarterback. So, yes, the Cowboys do have a really high ceiling, but they also have a really deep basement for yep. some reason, Man. and they don't have a baseline. Baseline goes back to the consistency of leadership and coaching, and that's probably the issue with the Cowboys. There's no question. If the Cowboys playing their best football, they are a dangerous team. Mm-hmm. Dang and, and need, scary. And yes, but it's but, but they're not a team that you could look at right now and say, oh, they have the ability to turn it on and off. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is the thing no, that bothers me the most. No. You know what I'm saying? That's why I'm like, okay, they're struggling, they're limping going in, and we believe, yes, clean slate, but what, what in their slate makes you think, oh, yeah, they can turn it off? They can turn it on. Nothing tells me that they can turn it on. And that's the disheartening part of it. Because even the games that they've won near the end of this season, it was a struggle. It wasn't, like you said, I mean, that Minnesota game was a way back. The, the, the false hope that we got from the Colts where it all was defensive and picking up fumbles and had some special teams type of plays. We got a dude that's trying to catch punts and punt the ball, and both of them can't hold on to the ball. Yeah, the special team thing is, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's crazy. I can't believe that happened to the yeah. Cowboys. They have been doing really well on special teams all year long. All right, uh, flipping the script, let's go to the Texans who beat the Colts, actually, uh, on a miracle play. If you're not familiar with the, uh, the Texans win and you didn't watch it, they end up beating the Colts 32-31, um, but they did it by, while con- having convert 4th and 12 and a 4th and 20 on their game-winning touchdown drive and a two-point conversion. And a two-point conversion. Give it a two-point conversion. And a two-point conversion. So how about this? The 4th and 12 that they converted, and I believe the 4th and 12 was to Brandon Cooks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was a 
if you look at it, teams in the NFL this season have converted 17% of 4th and 12s on the season. Yeah. 17%. So they had a 17% chance to convert that 4th and 12, and they did it. But also had a 4th and 20 that they needed to convert. Teams on the season were 0 of 9 on 4th and 20 conversion opportunities in 2022. That was the first 4th and 20 converted in the entire NFL season. I like it. And they ended up converting it to beat the Colts. It is bad for y'all. Two point conversion. <laughs> so there was one converted and it shouldn't have been? It's one converted. Yeah, exactly. And you could argue that it shouldn't have been. That was the Texans. That's how and that's how improbable it was for the Texans well, to get that it, win. The and Texans they got were up it. by ten at half, then allowed the Colts back into it, which is what they were supposed to do. And then yeah, it came back. Man, Lovey Smith really just he knew he was fired. Yep. Yeah. That's why you don't fire a coach you're trying to get to lose a game before the game. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, yeah, you should have. Yeah. Well, you should have like, just oh, fired. you finna let me go? Yeah, you should have removed right. him, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah, if you're going to fire him, fire him. Yeah, let, don't remove His card him should not have worked to get into the building yesterday. Agreed. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how that happened, gentlemen, but it did. And there are reports that basically Lovey had a different motivation than the organization. Organization yep. wanted one thing and Lovey wanted something else. I don't know how that happens. Considering there's a GM who is supposed to be the middleman between the organization and the head coach, and he's supposed to make the ultimate decision, which should have been the Texans sitting all their starters. Well, also, period. we also say there's a different motivation, even though we fired the last coach because we had different motivations, and specifically hired Lovey because he was a company guy. That's right. That it. That, that's yep. They exactly fired what David Cooley because he didn't want to fire the OC because they said we want to move in a different direction and you're not on board with us. And Lovey Smith says I'm on board. And then apparently somewhere throughout the season that went away. Yep. Uh, yeah, because he probably saw how dysfunctional and inept the organization was. Well, I think you know what I'm not going down with this ship. I actually. Well, I'm my a- guess too is that he went into it and they said, yeah, here three years you'll be our head coach, and over two three years, and we'll give you a year to try and turn it around as we get it going. And then halfway through the season, he was like, oh y'all firing me. Yeah, y'all never thought you were keeping me more than a right. year. So y'all lied to my face. Well, see, in that, this is why, if that is the case, and if it is, then it shows you that the leadership of the Texans is totally inept. You're going to let Nick Casario have one-and-done, back-to-back, consecutive one-and-done coaches, and then you're going to allow him to hire the third? And I like Nick Casario, by the way. I'm a Nick Casario fan. But that is absolutely ludicrous. If this was going to be the plan, just should have kept Cully. And should have been able to rein Cully in. Yeah. That's your job as a GM. And then say, listen, we're going to fire Cully in two years. But, you know, we just want to we want him around while we get our ducks in order, while we figure out what we're going to do through the draft, build draft capital, all that kind of stuff, build a good culture. Why did you fire Cully? The problem was you shouldn't have fired Cully. And that led to you having to fire Lovey Smith now back-to-back season. Yep. And now you wonder if you are going to hire a young coach. What young coach wants this job? With that type of job and, insecurity. And no and probably no player personnel control. Oh yeah, no, yeah, Nick Casario, got it yeah, all, so right. it's no player personnel He's not control. Getting that up, so you're not getting Sean Payton either. You're probably by the way. not getting hiring control. So, so you're, you're not, not even gonna hire your own DC or hire your own anybody. That's why you said go get the owner to come in there and say, You have failed miserably. Let someone else do this. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. is where you gotta put your foot down because the embarrassment I mean, look at that game last night. There were, I mean, think about the last few games that the Texans have played at home. Nobody is in the stands. None. And that is crazy. Not even the people that are corporate. 
They're not even coming. They're giving them tickets away. No, it's crazy, man. I, I'm with you. I don't really understand what the Texans are doing. I don't think anybody does. And I, listen, all these these candidates they're they're naming to replace Levy Smith, D'Amico Ryan's, uh, who is the San Francisco DC, who was once a part of the uh, the Texans organization. Ben Johnson, Lions OC. Jonathan Gannon, who is the DC for the Eagles. Uh, Shane, I think it's uh, Steichen is his name. I hope I got it correct. I, I might have mispronounced it. The Eagles OC. Those guys, honestly, they would be ill-advised to take that job. Yeah. If you're a young up-and-comer, yeah. you're like, nah, I'll wait. Uh, there'll be a better organization with a better opportunity. Because, because I have two things will happen. One, I'm fired after two years, or the GM's fired after two years. Pretty much guaranteed. That's a great point about the GM. Yeah. That you're going to have a new boss, and he's going to want his guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which they always so do. everything and, is a tryout. And let's also throw in, Casario also cost the Texans a draft pick before he was hired because they tampered to try and get him. Yep, when they were not allowed to talk to him. And I, like I said, I I like Nick Casario. I, I think he's done some good things. He has. But then the Brandon a, Cooks thing, you the, went, all right, that's a strike against you. But is, I think he's but done the draft. A, the drafts have been pretty good. Yeah, you can tell what you want, but those those draft picks have been playing, yeah. and playing at a really I high agree. level yep. that he's brought in. Um, but I'm with you. There's been some mismanagement um, in terms of the coaching hires, and I just don't get the plan. And if he's explaining to to ownership what his plan is, and this was the plan. Then that this is a terrible plan. Yeah. <laughs> like this is this is bad planning, it's a bad bro. planning, man. Yeah. This is the best bad idea. Argo, so this was the plan. Like this, I, I love hey, it. And if this was this the plan, was the plan. You know what? Go get Josh McCown, who was your boy that you went you out sure just did that and get him, and then you can fire him after fourteen games because everyone goes, "Yeah, that was a dumb hire." You should have just did that. Like, that that's that's what Jeff do. Saturday. That would have been yeah. your Jeff Saturday. You should have just did because this looks worse than yes. that move. Yeah, yes. because that you would have been an idiot sixteen weeks ago and smart now. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But no, now, you. now you're an idiot now. Now you're an idiot, <laughs> you're an idiot now. then and now. And some yep. people are playing the race card on you, too. Now you're getting yep. the of that now. And I'm like, yep. I was just praising them for hiring two black coaches back to back. <laughs> back to now, back. Now people are uh, criticizing both them. Of them are in Bermuda. They're both hey. in Bermuda now. For hey, firing black Texans, are, Texans are funding the black coach retirement fund. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. You've done a lot for this league. Oh, I think we deserve, we deserve a little man. bit of money. I just don't understand it, man. It's hard. And Texas fans, we're so just battered at this point. We can't even celebrate a win over the Colts. No Texans fan is happy about that win. And it was a miraculous win. Did you see the no. fans when they were cheering and then they realized that they were about to win the game and they were like, yeah, that what, are we exactly. doing? <laughs> like, what are we doing? What are we doing? By the way, what by the way how fun was it to root for Sam Ellinger at the end of a game again? Exactly. Oh, oh come good. on, Sam. Let's do it. Come oh, on, Sam. You got sake, this, Sam. bro. You got this. Oh, that was. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad Sam got his shot, too. Yeah. Um, and But the Texans, they are just an absolute fuster cluck of an organization. Um, and a lot of their moves are just nucking futs. Yeah. Uh, uh, real quick, before we uh, get out of here, I, 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 I said this earlier because I think this applies to the Texans. Um, there's a great quote from uh, Warren Buffett about his long-term investments. He talks about um, basically what his uh, motto is or what his uh, belief is about long-term investments and is this, and I love it. I think it applies to the Texans in a nutshell. You should invest in a business that even a fool can run because someday a fool will. And unfortunately, the Texans are being run by a fool. Yeah. And until they rectify that, I don't know if any of these decisions are going to make any sense at all. Yeah. All right, we come back. We'll go behind the burnt orange curtain. We got to talk Texas football. Big moves being made. Jalen Catalan, uh, one of the, if not the, top safety in the transfer portal committing to Texas. Jay Witt coming back to the 40 Acres. Brennan Marion moving on from the 40 Acres. I'll address it all right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.
This is Dallas Cowboys football 2022. Snap back to Prescott. He's got a lot of time. Only heard here. Deep down the right side. Oh, it's caught at the 45, 40, Pollard. All season. 20, 10, Pollard. Good night, nurse. Monday night, it's your Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Live from Raymond James Stadium. On this Dallas Cowboys radio network station. Pre-game Monday at 6 p.m. Kickoff at 7.15 on the Horn. Mike Harge here, and I want to talk to you about my friends over at Quick Roofing. Let me ask you a quick question. How often do you think about your roof? Probably when it rains, maybe some high winds. We've also had some hail in the area before, but I guarantee you, you don't think about it often enough. Do yourself a favor and contact my friends over at Quick Roofing. Go to quickroofing.com today. The story of Quick Roofing is pretty inspiring. Jeff Quick started Quick Roofing with just one roof in 1984, and now we are 39 years later. And they've got over 200,000 projects. You can't stay in business that long if you aren't taking care of your customers. And you also have to have a great reputation of customer service. Here are some of the reasons why you should choose Quick Roofing. I did this as well. You get a free, no obligation inspection. You get a seven-year workmanship uh, warranty. Quick Roofing is fully insured and has all state and local licenses. Quick Roofing doesn't even require any money up front until 100% uh, completion and, of course, 100% satisfaction. Quick Roofing also requires a project manager on every job site, ensuring that the customer will get everything that they were promised. So what are you waiting for? Reach out and get that free inspection today. Go to quickroofing.com. That's quickroofing.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real! My God! Okay, it's happening! Everybody stay calm! Oh, no, you've done it, it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. Alright, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104 Now in the Horn. We're going to go behind the burnt orange curtain and discuss some uh, Longhorn-related topics. Uh, Brendan Marion uh, is set to become the new OC and play caller at UNLV. He's going to join Barry Odom's uh, coaching staff there. And uh, ironically, once as the OC at Howard University, Brendan Marion helped Howard pull off the biggest upset in college football history over UNLV. 43-40, they were a 45-point underdog. Um, but I digress. He is a fast riser, so a lot of Longhorn fans, they're upset about this. Remember, when I when I was advocating for him to be hired for um, three or four years, actually, before he actually was hired, I told you guys he wouldn't be here for long. And we, I mean, that's just he was a fast riser. He wasn't going to stay at Texas for long. He hadn't, he hadn't been at any place that long, but especially at Texas because he wasn't going to be called in the place. Uh, he was a passing game coordinator, so he had input on the offensive game plan on a scheme, but he wasn't actually calling the plays. That is Sark's thing, and Sark's going to call the plays. But where he actually called plays there at Howard um, and then at William & Mary, he stayed there for a couple of years because he was there calling plays, um, but has been on the fast track. Coached wide receivers at Hawaii and then went to Pitt. Coached wide receivers there, had a Blitnikoff Award winner, <clears throat> and then ended up going to Texas 
as the pass game coordinator and the wide receivers coach. Now, as a wide receivers coach, I'll admit I thought you'd get better development from Brendan Marion. Uh, I guess if he was here longer, maybe you'd have got better development. But um, I thought his contributions as a, a, a an offensive mind were underappreciated. Remember I told you the biggest reason I wanted him to come here was not necessarily because of his recruiting, which he was a great recruiter. Look at the wide receivers you're bringing in in this class. Um, and now because of his development as a wide receivers coach. And I think he proved that at Pitt, that he can develop wide receivers into being the best wide receiver in the country. I wanted him because of his go-go offense. I wanted him because I had been advocating for, since Tom Herman was here, to play more two-tailback sets. When more two tailback sets, you bring in all these great running backs. Why are you only playing one of them on the field at a time? And Texas just really didn't have the the innovative uh, ways, innovative concepts to be able to maximize and weaponize their running backs in that way. And Sark dabbled in it in 2020 when he first got here, only because he had arguably the best running back room in the country. With Rojo and B. John, she's like, man, I got to get these guys on the field together. <clears throat> and in 2020, Texas had around, or sorry, in 2021, I should say, and Texas had around 6% of their offensive plays be two tailback sets. And they actually had, it was their most uh, successful passing personnel package. Highest yards per attempt and highest completion percentage in 2021 was actually out of your two tailback sets, going back to presenting defenses with power personnel packages and pivoting to pass principles. They did that really, really well in 2021. It took a lot of teams uh, by surprise. Well, one thing they struggled with with two tailback sets in 2021 was running the ball, actually, out of two tailback sets. They were really good at passing the ball. Um, really high explosive play rate um, out of your two tailback sets by throwing the ball. Um, still ended up with over a 21% explosive play rate out of two tailback sets in uh, in 2021. So you were just really successful <clears throat> out of that personnel package, period. But you couldn't run the ball uh, successful, I say consistently enough. You average around 4.4 yards per rush. That's not enough, especially with a Bijan Robinson and a Rojo in the same backfield. So they had to improve on that, and I think that's where you bring in Brendan Marion, his go-go offense, a two-tailback offense All right, that is essentially designed to be a triple-option run game infused with a West Coast passing game. So it was a quid pro quo. He came here to learn more of the West Coast passing game, too, from one of the West Coast masters of the passing game in Steve Sarkeesian. So he wanted to implement and use or infuse that West Coast passing game with his go-go offense, and Sark desperately needed those go-go principles, a two-tailback set. Actually, multiple tailback sets, because there were sometimes the go-go offense, uh, when he was using that William and Marion at Howard, he would use three tailback sets. Now, when he brought him, he brought uh, Brendan Marion in. I thought you would see you know, a quarter of the plays, maybe twenty five percent of the plays, be two tailback sets. Especially given that was your most uh, impactful and it was your most talented position overall in that running back room. So that was not the case. You ended up this year uh, increasing your two tailback sets or your multi back sets look from around 6% to around 16%. You take just 21 personnel specifically, you were at a close a little over 11% of your offensive plays were two tailback sets. You would if you 
me ask me, and I've been advocating for two tailback sets for a while, Sark should have ran more of it. I think in retrospect, it was a dang coaching mistake. Now you lost both of those guys. You lost Bijan and Rojo. And I think uh, I don't think we appreciate how special and unique those guys were. Bijan Robinson led the country in forced missed tackles this past season. It was a pro football focus record that he set. And the last two years, if you look at forced missed tackle rate or broken tackle rate, um, actually Rojo had a higher broken tackle rate than Bijan Robinson. So he was just really good in the backfield together. And it showed when they started using more two tailback sets with the go go package. All right, a lot of those go go looks. When you see those three uh, running, those 30 personnel looks with three running backs in the backfield, that was more of your go go. Um, some of your offset looks in the backfield, a lot of that was go go principles. Uh, you average 5.7 yards per rush. So you increase your yards per rush. Almost 1.2, 1.3 yards per rush. Um, I think that was a, a big part of Brendan Marion's influence. Also, you look at yards per attempt out of your 21 personnel, you were, you were over 11 yards per attempt. You were over, in 21 personnel, you were over 8 yards per play. That was your wow. best personnel package uh, of any, a uh, most effective personnel package of any group this year. Your 11 personnel package, 12 personnel package, 6 0 line package, even your multi back sets, nothing was as uh, fruitful, I should say, as your 21 personnel package. And a ton of that, guys, was the Brendan Marion and his go go concepts and principles. What happened in the bowl game, Rod? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. That's, <laughs> that's what I said because I knew you were hot. That's when a great you were watching question. that I, I, game. I don't know. Well, you know what? Steven is what happened. I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> Coach Steven uh, came out there and then, you know, started calling some crazy plays and wanted to. Coach Steven really likes Keelan Robinson yeah. for some reason. He wants him to start at running back, which I think we all thought was a little ridiculous. <laughs> so if you're looking at Brendan Marion's influence with the, with the offense, don't look at so much of, oh, man, I didn't like the way Xavier Worthy developed. I don't like his progression. He may have regressed. That is, in fact, true. I, I, I agree with that as well. Um, but also look at his contributions to the actual scheme. And I'm glad that Sark has those schemes now. Hopefully he can continue to use that. But Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size, Cardi B size, Megan The Stallion size, Beyonce size. But he didn't use one play. Mm. Mm. One mm. play of a multi-back set in the bowl game. Not one. Not 120. Not 121. Not 130. None. Mm-hmm. So, hell, maybe Brendan Marion's bags were packed already. I don't yeah, know. Maybe he was like, man, what is going on here? Right, I know I like He used none of it. So, hopefully it wasn't just something Sark used this past season and last season. Hopefully we'll see more of it and use it more of the go-go. But to, for Brendan Marion, who's 35 years old, I know people you know, talk about, oh, man, he's a, he's a job hopper. So, I knew he wasn't going to be here long. Guys, he's a millennial. All millennials are job hoppers. Yep. If you're complaining about that, he's just reflecting what society is doing right now. The millennials stay at a job. 25 to 34 years old, they stay at a job on average 2.8 years. That's their tenure at, mm-hmm. at, at the job on average. Uh, if you look at 55 to 64 years old, they're the ones who stay at a job near, damn near 10 years. Young people don't stay at jobs that long. They don't. Especially and, when he wants to be a play caller and he's yeah. not getting the opportunity to be a play caller. He's got to go somewhere he can call plays. Yep. He's got to go somewhere he can cultivate the go-go. Yep. The go-go offense. If he doesn't, it's just going to die. It's going to die a slow death. Can't let that happen. You got to go somewhere and bet on yourself. That's what he's doing mm-hmm. at UNLV, betting on himself that he can, you know, uh, really cultivate this offense and it can flourish there at UNLV. And he's basically trying to prove that his offense can work anywhere. That's what you want to prove as an offense coordinator, that you don't need my criticism to start sometimes. If you need first-round talent to make your offense work, I got to tell you, 
It's not a good right. offense. <laughs> right. There are a lot of offenses around the country that's working really well, and they don't have first-round running backs, first-round wide receivers, first-round quarterbacks. It was like, well, he's got to get more talent. Guys, Kansas ain't got a lot of talent. They got a top-five offense. Thank I'm just you. saying sometimes the scheme should be able to uplift the offensive talent. So if you need first-round talent all around you to be able to have a really productive offense and an elite offense, then you're not an elite coach. You just benefit from having great players around you. What he's trying to do is prove my offense works at Howard. It works at William and Mary. Here my concepts work at Texas. My, my stuff will work at UNLV. And once you prove that, then you got your proof of concept. Yep. Then you can go to the SEC. Then you go to the Pac-12. Then you go to the Big Ten and go, my offense will work against any damn body. Right. Any damn conference. That's what he's trying to prove. So for all the ignorant people who don't understand that, that's what you got to figure out. Mm-hmm. That's what it's not just taking a chance on himself. He's taking a chance on that offense that he'll be able to be able to troubleshoot it with all types of different issues. So like I always said coaches are problem solvers. He's got to learn how to solve the problems that re- exist within the framework of that offense against any type of defense, any circumstance, any with any talent level. Yep. That's what great minds do. It ain't just, oh, I got a first-round running back. I got a first-round wide receiver. Damn, offense is going to look good. Guys, if that's the case, the offense don't work. Right. That means the players are making the offense work, not the scheme itself. I like the that. scheme should uplift talent, and that should always be the talent uplifting the scheme. Mm. All was, right, uh, we'll that come was back. Poetry, right? Yeah, there. <laughs> <laughs> that was poetry, Just, right? Uh, there. Hey, man, trying to keep it real. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we'll get back to the Jay Witt conversation and also John Calipari as well. Some more and and uh, Jalen Catalan, other big news. Longhorns yep. getting a commitment via the transfer portal from the top safety uh, in the transfer portal. We'll get all that and more coming up. But off the record, on the other side, this is a bizarre story. Um, and it's a sad, crazy story. And I haven't heard anybody talking about it. And we'll get into it on the other side. Uh, it, it actually may blow your mind. I still can't believe it's real. Right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful Nine Horn. Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. Smooth So Monday edition of Ball Don't Lie. Okay, so this is a catfishing story that comes from the Baltimore Banner. And it's about Coppin State. You're a basketball guy, uh, Patrick. Have you heard this story? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I remember Juan Dixon, though. Yes, Juan Dixon, who yeah. is uh, actually, I watched him last night because I watched Real Housewives of Atlanta with my wife, and he's on there. And I did not know that. Yeah, his wife is one of the women on there, and he's oh, like, wow. yeah. I did not know yeah, that. He's, he's, That's it, interesting. They're married, yeah. So how about this? So during his, this, this is about a player, Ivan Williams. So during his freshman season with Coppin State, he claims a woman reached out via social media and the two began an online relationship. The woman convinced him to send sexual photos. He did so, believing the photos would stay between them. Once he, once he sent the photos, the woman told Williams he was being blackmailed. Basically, if he didn't follow their demands, they would release the photos. Williams was desperate to appease the blackmailer. Keep in mind, this is a young man thinking that his college ride, all that stuff could be on the line. He's thinking about, man, I want to play at the next level. At least everybody thinks they're going to play at the next level. So come spring, a senior on the team, Lucian Brownlee, tells Williams that he too is being blackmailed. The blackmailer then began constantly contacting Williams, harassing him with messages saying he must engage in sexual encounters with his teammate Brownlee. What? Who is who was now an alumni who coached on the team. So he was a former player on the team who was now an alumni who coached on the team, demanding Williams to send a recording of the encounter with Brownlee. 
This is real. I'm not making this up. According to the lawsuit, in the face of the threat of exposure and loss of his position in the basketball program and his financial support, and with the insistence and urging of Coach Brownlee himself, the plaintiff acquiesced. Basically, Williams fell back into a corner and was embarrassed and terrified, and so he did what he thought was the only option to save his future. All the while, Brownlee was encouraging this line of thought and pretending to be in the same boat with him. The threats and harassment from the blackmailer continued, and now they had even more blackmail. Williams figures out that it is actually Coach Brownlee who is catfishing him. Eventually, Williams tells his family that team members are engaging in inappropriate behavior, including blatant, unchecked drug use, but does not mention the blackmail situation he's in. Um, in summer of 2020, Williams and his father take this info to head coach Juan Dixon, mm-hmm. former NBA star who is also part of the Real Housewives of Potomac. Sorry, Potomac. I think I said Atlanta. Potomac. Yeah, yeah. According to the lawsuit, Dixon indicated that he was helpless to address the drug issue in the meaningful way. Um, but Dixon convinces Williams to stay on the team. The blackmailer, a.k.a. Coach Brownlee, simply won't stop and goes into overdrive with harassment and requests again. This time, when Williams doesn't appease him, Brownlee makes good on his threats and releases all of the blackmail material to the public and members of the Coppin State basketball team. Unbelievable. Allegedly, one Dixon admits to Williams that Brownlee is nuts and unstable and that the school and athletic director also knew that Brownlee had a bad history. Dixon also admits that uh, this to Williams' his father and brother in a later phone call. Um, the conclusion of the story, well, it's not concluded yet. Williams <laughs> asked Coppin State to conduct a review of the harassment, sexual assault, and blackmail, but that process caused him further emotional distress. The lawsuit alleges he was questioned about his past sexual experiences and sexual orientation. Uh, the lawsuit also asserts that the university terminated Williams' financial assistance for housing and tuition without explanation. So back to Coppin State. Uh, yeah, basically, one Dixon's job now is on the line, and this lawsuit is ongoing. <gasps> what? Isn't that crazy? That is that is oh. one of the strangest stories that I've listened to and read about, and it still to me doesn't make sense. It's still confusing, right? See, the coach was catfishing the player, also blackmailing this player, right. into. Having some type of physical, intimate encounters with a teammate, which is him, but it did he pretends that it's not him and goes through with it. I just yeah, it, I don't. It, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's tough. It's, you haven't heard about the story because I think it's really confusing to people to keep up with. Yeah, and it doesn't like. It seems like it's pretty, at least from that account, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. it seems like it's pretty like oh yeah, this one guy needs to go to jail. Yes. And this other guy should be restitute, and and then the school is like, nope, no nah, man, we we like the we like the predator. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. why it doesn't. That's yeah. the part that doesn't make sense. Is it seems like the school should have had a different reaction if all this alleged stuff is true. But you never know. And like I just heard the story from you, so I can't comment on anything of it oh. being any falsehoods it, or anything. You is, know. You know. It, it is why. Okay. There's actually an audio recap that I best I can send to uh, my man Patrick and they can play the audio recap in case my re, re, you know reciting somebody the just details. said I need a recap. No, it is. It's, it's, <laughs> it is. I swear. I, I read it like four or five times. And I still am like, hold up, what happened yeah, again? Yeah, I'm. I'm it is so crazy. Confused. All right, so maybe if we got time later on, we'll play the recap for you. I think the recap. Like 90 seconds. It's just somebody else got to read the details I already read to you. Yeah. I, maybe they'll do a better job than I did. But it is, that is, that is a freaky, crazy, creepy story. So, 
truly off the record. Just yeah. totally off the record. Off the record and, and the rails. <laughs> yeah, and the rails. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, okay, like I said, I'll, I'll I'll keep you guys updated with it because I still uh, I'm trying to <clears throat> process it myself. By the way, right. when you said are you, you're a basketball fan, do you know this story? Not where I thought it was going. <laughs> I thought it might include some basketball, not right? just creepy basketball players. <laughs> creepy basketball, and I'm like one Dixon man, you're in trouble. Because that's your program. That is is your program. So the buck stops with you, brother. Uh, All right, we'll come back. We got national title game preview on the other side. Dogs versus Frogs right here on Ball Don't Line, 104.9 The Horn.